Big congrats to Meghan Markle. She succeeded in taking a second man out of the House of Windsor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Okay, a big day here in the variety program. <laughs> That's an aggressive start. I love it. It's good. It's good. Well, we have Hollywood Hen today, and so we figured we'd stay on brand and sort of introduce that controversial topic up top. So, I mean, it, it's it's a it's an action-packed show we have today. Uh, I want to start with with what we should really get into is what's what's been going on since the last time we checked in. There's been a lot of news, folks. There's been the Masters. We've got Prince Philip. Also, we have yeah. the Masters. <laughs> can we at least can we at least discuss um, that we have a big guest uh, uh, on the on the program today? We have Purchase right. Owens, Congressman from Utah, on the on the program. I think everybody's going to get a kick out of him. He's he's really serious guy, but he's got some extraordinary words of wisdom that I, I think you're really going to enjoy that interview. Yeah, crowd favorite. People have been asking, and we finally made it happen. Yeah. Yep. Good, good dude. What else do we got? Well, <clears throat> here's how I want to start is we, let's just go right into the Hollywood hand segment. There's been so much news happening in the entertainment, I guess, uh, segment. We need our resident expert to let us know what's going on. And hey, guys, glad to be back on the program. I mean, good Lord. It seems to me like we've had four or five days of just an incredible amount of Hollywood news, starting with the passing of DMX. I know we have a lot. Unfortunately, the segment today is kind of sad or it has some a tinge of sadness to it. Um, yes, our beloved rapper DMX passed away last week. Um, mm -hmm. He was rushed to the hospital um, following a heart attack and um, slipped into like a coma and his a vegetative state unfortunately passed um passed away last week so we really lost a good one um uh, on the rap scene it's really sad stop drop open up shop yeah yes. th there's like an entire generation of, of of folks who who dmx was like any of his albums were like the soundtrack of the summer just oh. put on put on rough riders anthem maybe like when you're taking a shower in the morning <laughs> yeah. and and start and the dairy try to have a bad day right <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> we uh we toyed with the idea of having the voice of an angel michael duncan open today's program with his own version of rough riders but we decided against it it was yeah. disrespectful no one can, no one can get that growl yes, no disrespectful. i don't think i could do it justice but yeah i would also like to say for our listeners who want to learn a little bit more about dmx in case um they're a little younger than we are. Mm. I would like to recommend VH1's Behind the Music DMX. You can get it on YouTube and watch. And it is an eye-opening account of his life, a lot of which I did not know about. Huh. Um, yeah, do so- do Han, do they still do Behind the Musics? Yeah, so this is a great question. So I don't know if they're doing new ones, but there's a plethora, they have a whole, whole channels of them on YouTube huh. from the past 
20 plus years. See, so, I, I have like a Grassley beef where he's like the History Channel doesn't play any history. I agree with him on that. But the same thing like VH1, like the behind the music, all those shows that are about music, they're all gone. They're all gone. I know. I mean, they did them. I think the Tony Braxton one was 2012. So they were doing them as, you know. As recently as, as nine years that. ago. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> nine years is, ago. When is, I mean, is sincerely, when is the last time you watched VH1? That's a great I mean, yeah. is it still I mean, that's why. Like, I, I, I don't know. Exist? I don't. I, yeah, I really don't know. I'm sure they have reality shows on it now. You I know, lo I love behind the music because um, all of those stories start with a very familiar arc, right? Like, yeah. a, like a rise to fame from obscurity, initial success, incredible stardom, you know, wealth they aren't prepared for, stardom they're not prepared for, internal bickering. And then just like a crushing low. Horrible drug point. abuse. Horrible yeah. drug abuse. I mean, like Sometimes the story is is yeah. unreal. It's like uh, if for the folks who have seen that show, The Wire, what was the name of the guy who would rob? Omar, the guy who was just like feared for being able to rob anyone. DMX in Yonkers was like an unstoppable robbery dude where he yeah. just like roll up to people and steal their stuff. And he was like half, he was, he was like, I never wore a mask. He was like people knowing me, my face was like the weapon half the time. I didn't even have to pull a gun to just give me what they had if I asked for it. Well, so here's here's the tragic part of his life that I learned from that. Um, I mean, a lot of it is tragic, but he was abused by his mother at a really young age and for several years. And he talks about his robbing days in the Behind the Music and talks about how they were so poor that he literally was robbing people to have food and to be able to survive. And... The reason, you know, his his life was an up and down roller coaster of drug abuse. And, you know, at his passing, they are saying that the heart attack was possibly caused from a drug overdose. Um, but the first time he he smoked crack was when he was 14 year old, 14, 14 years old, um, when he thought he was smoking pot, but it was laced with with crack. And it was Jesus. right after it was right after a night of robbing people. At 14. Like, at 14. Think about how, tra yeah, his life is, everybody's got to watch it because it was really a tragic life, which made his success so much more impressive. And one of the things that they talk about is how DMX was really the antithesis, antithesis of the bad boy entertainment in the late 90s. You have yep. Puffy in his pink suits and yep. his private jets and his crystal. And then you have DMX who's representing, you know, street life on on the East coast. So I'm a big fan of DMX. I was really sad to see him pass. I think all of us who grew up in the nineties, it was, you know, he was a real cultural touch point for us. So yeah, yeah. It's, totally. it's absolutely heartbreaking. Rest and do you remember, remember that song he did with Ashanti? Do you remember that? DMX had a song with Ashanti? I yeah. Didn't he? This. I don't remember. Where would I be without you? No, that was, no, that, ja was ja Rule, that was Ja Rule, man. Wow. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> that he, is a good song, though. It's the price that you pay for trying to out Hollywood hen. Yeah, yeah. I was they, like, we'll man, that's experts. a big miss. <laughs> no, look, 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 look at look, it happens. It happens. <laughs> but but it, but DMX. I mean, Rough Riders Anthem was obviously a classic, and in the '90s there were a lot of rappers like that. That like, you know, you grew up uh, listening to those songs of the summer. You yeah. know, and think about like 2001 um you know dr dre um think of all that dude honestly the dmx's first album i can probably recite 
the entire first album is dark and hell is hot like from memory <laughs> because the thing is that when you would listen to it, when it when it came out no one would, would hit fast forward or rewind to get a different track from start to finish it was bonkers yeah it's true he, here's a fun fact that's come out about him um after his passing is gabrielle union said that dmx was actually a big fan of golden girls amazing and- and what a renaissance worked, man, dude. And when they worked on a movie together and she was responsible for for going to get him, you know, to bring him back to set, she'd go she'd go in and he'd be like, have a drink and watch the Golden Girls with me. And they'd like dude, chill in his awesome. trailer watching the Golden Girls. Nice. I would I would love like how, how Chappelle used to have those true Hollywood stories where he did like Rick James and Prince. I want a true Hollywood story of DMX where he's like, hey, you want to grab a drink and watch the Golden Girls? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. 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 I love it. I love what a renaissance it. man. Hannah Berg, what else do we have in the Hollywood? So, so DMX wasn't the only one um, to pass last week. Obviously, the big other news is that Prince Philip passed away um, at the age of 99. Um, Markle, a- the Markle did him in. She did. She, she called him a racist on, her, on, on his many, deathbed. Many people are saying. I mean, what was the time? When did that interview drop? It, it had to have been only a matter of weeks. It was a matter of weeks. Wow. I mean, I mean, they did it. They did the interview when he was sick in the hospital. Oh, my God. Oh my God and then he came back home and then he, you know, got sick again, obviously. I mean, he wasn't that. in the best of shape. Like the photos of the past few years. Just, yeah. Oof. Yeah. But it was really sad. But there's a there's, a, you know, a couple of kind of nuggets, juicy nuggets that came out of this about, um, you know, everyone saying, the funeral's taking place on Saturday. Harry's flown back over to London and everybody's hoping that, you know, they're putting the Oprah interview behind them and that this is the chance for Harry and William and Charles to all kind of regroup and get back together and mend some of the things that were broken by the interview. Um, one person you will not see at the funeral is Meghan Markle. Wow. She, she will not be going to the wedding. So they the announced, the um, or, gosh, to the funeral, golly. Right. Um, they announced that she's not going to be going to the funeral because of medical reasons, because she's pregnant and that her doctors and her mother, um, you know, are advising her not to travel. There was an article on the Daily Mail today um, that said her friends are saying that she's not going because she doesn't want to be the center of attention hmm. and that it might not be, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't see, it might be a little what, bit of What's both. the reason for her to even show up? Like, why would she even show up to Phillips? funeral she everyone knows harry's not his his grandson like does anyone really believe that the kid's like this redhead who looks nothing like his brother who looks nothing like prince charles no one no one buys that no one buys that unbelievable megan megan uh, parody, claims parody, parody. Many, many people are saying, many people are saying. we're all joking that not is uh <laughs> not, true. not true um megan says that she had a special bond with prince philip but she doesn't want to take away from you know from the somber day with i mean she called everybody in the whole family a racist several weeks ago now she's got a special well, very special bond very yeah and, i know i know a little backtracking a racist there. than a, a, a an african-american woman do have right i mean i i just look i always thought that that um interview is in poor taste to begin with uh for a variety of reasons what i didn't know at the time was that this guy was on his deathbed mm-hmm. and that is i mean that makes it a thousand times worse in my view yeah, you want Honestly, you that's a huge L for her. Or, or a huge W. Honestly, it's a huge win. <laughs> you have to respect Megan now at this point. Like, what's that? What, what, everyone's like, what, oh my gosh, how's Queen Elizabeth going to reply? How's she going to respond? Everyone's waiting for that. Nope. Megan keeps rolling, dude. 
I would I, not stand in her way at this point. I have to say, Prince Philip talked about, you know, he thought that the Oprah interview was madness and no good would come of it. But he had a really interesting <laughs> quote, which I thought was insightful about kind of where his mindset was. He said, give TV interviews by all means, but don't talk about yourself. It's a big mistake to think about yourself. No one is interested in you in the long run. Don't court popularity. It doesn't last. Uh. Remember that the attention comes because of the position you are privileged to hold, not because of who you are. If you think it's all about you, you'll never be happy. That man. is an elegant murder. I mean, right? he tried. Hey, he he tried talking about privilege, but man, she 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 showed him who knew about privilege, just bodied him, yeah. literally bodied the guy, but listen. on his deathbed, took his grandson. <laughs> now she's taking over the royal family. This is a, this is a message from America. We haven't forgotten about 1776. Now you're on her side. <laughs> we can't be stopped. I feel like Smug just flip flopped a bunch, and I can't I can't follow <laughs> it. Gone totally bad. I don't I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's. But happening. I will say there's there's one other thing that I just noticed, but I don't know if it's been reported. But um, in Prince William's statement, he had a little line, and I was wondering if it was a little dig at Harry, which would probably be ill timed if they're trying to mend fences this weekend, but he said, um, Catherine and I will continue to do what he would have wanted and will support the queen in the years ahead. And I was just like, interesting. Like they made this, his, his statement was very much about how, you know, Prince Philip kind of did the job right. And sacrificed for the queen and sacrificed for the Royal family. And we're going to do that too. And I was Mm. like, that is in sharp contrast to Harry. The implicit critique. Exactly. For exactly. Sure. I actually love, I hadn't heard that um, from F- Prince Philip before about the interview. I think that's, it reminds me one time a, a predecessor of mine as a chief of staff in the Senate said, just remember the day that you're not a chief of staff, nobody gives a shit. What do you think? Yeah. Right? That right. You're, nobody's going to return your call. The reason that everybody thinks you're so important right now is because you've got your hand on some stuff. Right? Yep. It, yep. And it was just such great advice for a young guy, but that's essentially what he's saying to them. Is it like, exactly. listen, if you're not a Royal. If you didn't marry into the Royal family, nobody's going to care what Meghan Markle thinks. Exactly. Good stuff. I love it. So that's that. Um, and then there's one other bit of news that just broke um, this, a- this afternoon. Um there's news out of Georgia that Will Smith has moved his oh. production oh. of his new film Emancipation from Georgia to Louisiana Here we in go. protest over the state's new voting laws. Um, Wait till he finds out what the voting laws are in Louisiana. That's what I said. That's what I said. It's all um, such nonsense. It's all just complete garbage. None of these people know anything about what they're trying to critique. It's just like perception is reality in, in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And the the decision is going to apparently cost, I don't know if it's Apple or, or who, but it's going to cost $15 million to relocate this. Wow. This movie. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Honestly, that's, that's hilarious. They're, they're, they're trying to just appear as, as if uh, um, it's kind of like the opposite of what Charles Barkley always said, you should not consider me an idol. But now you have random people like Will Smith who are trying to come off as being pious it, using using their economic means. Like this is a very wealthy man who's trying to be like, oh, no, you don't understand. I, I, I stand with the everyman. It, but him being able to move a production 
shows how much power he's able to wield way more than an everyman. Like he's able, because he's got access to millions and millions of dollars in a Hollywood production, uh, make decisions on what our governments do more than just a guy with a vote. That's, that's just wild. It's completely wild. And it's, you know, look, I love the great state of Georgia. I love the people in Georgia. I don't think there has ever been a state that has been more quickly punished for its voting decisions than the state of Georgia has been. It's like that thing went blue and immediately was under complete attack. Yeah. How much money have they lost on since they went blue? And think about all the jobs that they're pulling out. I mean, the the film industry is really big in Georgia and, you know, they're, they're hurting the people there. So my theory for Will Smith is he did this. So if you Google Will Smith, it'll stop being like Jada Pinkett says she cheated on her husband, Will Smith, and he puts up with it. It's all the clearest Google search. It's 100% for the Google searches. Uh, Then I'll say Will Smith moves from Georgia to like, because he's mad at voting. Right. (laughs) I mean, my, my, my view on all this stuff with these corporations is pretty straightforward. It's like, you know, we, we shouldn't allow these corp they can do whatever they want but we should we shouldn't allow these corporations to have a veto um over our democracy and they get to choose what laws are okay and not okay that's not the way a democracy works and all of these democrats who claim that corporations have too much power and influence in our democracy are cheering now and i thought that was fascism i thought that was corporatism You know, the combination of government and corp and corporate power deciding what we're allowed to do. And like, you know, they're fine with it now, but boy, <laughs> this isn't this isn't the no. end. But the, the thing is that the, it's much worse than corporations just deciding to be woke. Right. That would be one thing. But we all know that's not true. They actually don't give a shit. They really don't care what they're responding to is an organized left that figured out how to pressure a corporate boardroom. Right. And so the pain that they feel is exclusively off the left for two for two reasons. One, the left has been pretty amplified and organized and able to put that pressure on in a whole range of issues. But two, they they know that if they're ever going to have public condemnation, it's coming from a media that only responds to impetus from the left. Yep. Right. So it, you have to be responsive to these woke mobs because they're the only ones that can cause you any pain. So far, so far, like President Trump briefly changed that in, in his first couple of years in office when he would you know, just call out companies that were moving jobs overseas and those kind of things. Like that briefly changed the calculus. But then it, it sort of like reverted back in spades now to a position where these CEOs are just petrified. All they're doing is trying to make the pain go away. And so they will repeat whatever the left is saying. Does anyone think that Manfred, the commissioner of the MLB, knows what the hell is in Georgia's voting laws? No, no idea. No clue. Or and we'll, he'll, he'll move a, out like the that. All-Star game. He'll move out the All-Star game, but he's not going to rescind his membership at Augusta. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah, that, that Hollywood hen segment was an absolute perfect segue into it's just a way larger problem than just Will Smith. Uh, like the previous weekend, you had like 100 CEOs on a Zoom call, essentially strategizing how can we uh, cave in to these left-wing demands where they obviously haven't read the bill. No, and they all operate in states with much more restrictive voting laws than Georgia's, but it's yeah. become as cause celeb, right? Yeah. Like New York is, is, is far more restrictive than Georgia, but okay, you've got all these 
corporations showing up and being like, oh no, Georgia, Georgia's the problem here because uh, that's the latest buzzword. And now we can easily be uh, extorted. And, and all, they're just pawns in a larger game, right? What, the, what these progressive activists have in mind is not Georgia, it's federal, it's everything. What they're trying to do is gin up this idea that, you know, and Burgess Owens talks about this today, that somehow that these things are all racist and that what you need is a federal takeover of elections where you can't trust people to do so much as provide an ID, right? That you can go ballot harvest, that taxpayers have to fund campaigns, that you turn the FEC into a partisan commission to basically prosecute Republicans. All of those things are what their ultimate goal is. And all these CEOs can't see the forest through the trees. None of them know that they're a player in this game. Yeah. They all think they all think that they are being cheerleaded from the left by their favorite celebrity, right? And they're and they're celebrity endorsers of their products as so strong and courageous. When in reality, all they're doing is putting another log on the fire for their own ends, right? Because once these guys get in control, once you hand them the power that they seek, you know those tax increases that Biden was talking about? That's a pittance. They're just going to take over your damn company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there's this great article uh, which was talking about uh, over the past weekend you had. So, so the article says uh, he, uh, Sonnenfeld says he and other organizers invited more than 120 CEOs and had hoped a dozen would join. 90 turned out with just 48 hours notice. With a few, this is, this is the kicker, with a few calling in from Augusta, Georgia, where they were watching the Masters Golf Tournament. So that tells you, I mean, the level of hypocrisy is off the charts. These CEOs are like at the masters, like, all right, I got, I got to take a quick zoom. They hit the clubhouse, you know, grab a drink and like, all right, I'm here. Uh, So let's talk about how uh, we have to pull everything out of Georgia and punish Georgia. I completely agree with the cause. (laughs) (laughs) Rob. And I think it was reported that Rob Manfred himself, the MLB commissioner is a member at Augusta nationals. Is he really? That's right. Perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Dude. Isn't that classic? I don't see him giving up that uh, spot anytime soon. So that's the thing is like, I think it has become very clear that these corporations have gotten so emboldened, so emboldened. They think they operate by a different set of rules. They want to have a greater say in our democracy than any individual. They want to force uh, all Americans, in, be it individual states, to heed to their demands. And by doing this, it, it, it shows that at the end, they're only going to like sow the seeds of their own destruction. Because they're not going to stop. Once, once you let this mob have one inch, they're not going to stop. That's right. I mean, th- they're, essentially, right now, these corporations are like super delegates for democracy. They're telling, you know, you've got Delta, you've got Coca-Cola being like, hey, we're going to tell everyday Americans how to vote. It, you know, we didn't read the bill. We didn't see that New York is more restrictive, but we are going to demand uh, these individual states only do what we tell them. I think it's so if we have a difference of opinion on this one, it, it's that I think you believe that all of these guys are just like inherently progressive. And I don't know. Some of them certainly are. No question. I just think they're weak. I just think they're so unbelievably weak and they and they live in a culture and surround themselves with the cocktail party circuit that sort of looks down their nose at working class Americans that, that, you know, the Republican party, Oh my gosh, the knuckle draggers. And Lid, did you hear about Trump? Holy smokes. I can't believe that. So they're so eager to curry favor with that crowd just to begin with. 
that once they start getting some pressure and they understand that the pressure mechanisms only hurt their business from the left, they're just bowled over so easily. Well, that's right? the, that's why I say it's it's time Republicans went to Stand war up. with the corporations. That's if, they, that's if right. they feared us as much as they feared the left, they'd fall in line. Because uh, the only reason they're doing this is they know the right doesn't fight. We have not put the same kind of pressure at all. When's the last time we were like uh, uh, tried to make some kind of uh, like freedom fries? Is the only time we've ever been like, no, no, no. We we have a <laughs> cause that we demand corporations fall in line with. Like since then, it's just been the left calling the shots. Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't want to be a scold and be like, you know, don't do, don't participate in anything that you don't agree with ideologically. But at some point, conservatives need to, as I think Duncan said last week, you look around, you figure out you're actually in a war. That these that these folks are dead serious at eliminating your rights entirely. Dead serious. Now you can make your arguments about whether the CEOs are are willing participants or are pawns in a larger game that they're just too ignorant to understand. Either way, the result is the exact same. So I think they should be held accountable to the standards that they're setting. If they want to do this woke nonsense. So for, for, for years and years, companies have benefited from Republican policies of like lower taxes for companies so that they can go out and hire. No, we should, we should let them feel the fury of what they're unleashing. We should hold all these companies. Okay. If you're, if you're Delta, wow, you're, you're a huge polluter. You're a huge polluter. It's time you've, you paid for that. It's time you're taxed at the rate that Elizabeth Warren wants. This is who you're in bed with. You're going to get what you're asking for. It goes both ways. You're not able to make left-wing demands of voters and not live up to left-wing demands of the company that you're running. I just think, and I continue to think we need an, a more formal, organized vehicle on the right that holds accountable these CEOs who are, are willing participants in using their corporations to try to silence conservatives, right? And in this case, much worse than silence, actually just call them all racists. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's the thing is like, uh, what was funny is so, um, oh goodness, what's her name? The 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 current governor of Georgia or the one who refused to concede. Oh, Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, who who like flip-flopped and was like, "Uh, this isn't what I actually wanted, guys. Yeah, this is what you're going to get. Yeah. Make them all pay. Give them exactly what they're asking for. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, uh, actually, I didn't want Georgia to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, you're going to get it. That's what's going to happen. You don't get to have it both ways. So Stacey Abrams, John Ossoff, and Raphael Warnock, when they came in talking about how it misrepresenting that that was the thing that came out yesterday that Raphael Warnock's statement on the Georgia voter voting law included two provisions that didn't weren't in the actual bill. Yeah. So like his reaction to the law was to misstate exactly what was in it. Like he completely ginned up a progressive base against it. So you know what? Now you're accountable, pal. You can talk to all of those black owned businesses in Atlanta that are now millions of dollars of short because of, of what you all did to try to get Major League Baseball out of Atlanta and into Colorado. You own that. I thought these, I thought these corporations, these CEOs were smart. And instead, they took the word of Stacey Abrams, a liar who has lied about this law on national television, a lunatic who refuses to admit she lost the gubernatorial, gubernatorial election in 2018, 
and they they decided to take yeah. her word for it. See, that's the thing is they label this they as like wrong. Jim that, Crow. That They're like, this is smart. Jim Crow. Biden himself said, this yeah. is Jim Crow on steroids. And then people actually read the bill and were like, uh, wait a minute. Like the New York Times of all people, of all organizations, the New York Times actually looked at the bill and they're like, actually, this would not affect turnout. This is not a voting restrictive <laughs> bill. And But hey, it's right, too late. Right, it's too right, late. They I, already got all these CEOs. They got all of Hollywood saying this is Jim Crow. Joe Biden, out of his mind, even says, this is worse than Jim Crow. This is Jim Eagle. That's how they did it. But I thought... I thought these CEOs got rich, you know, doing their due dil yeah. diligence, right? And like actually digging in and making money and making smart decisions based on research and information. No, they are. No, they're stupid. These CEOs are pretty stupid. And like Holmes said, they're pretty weak. If they can be convinced by a complete charlatan like Stacey Abrams to do what they did. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with Smug. They should be punish punished them. for it. And I, I and I look forward for them getting a taste of the left wing agenda that they bought into Absolutely. without even reading. Absolutely. So good luck. Good luck. Best good luck, luck to folks. you. That's what I'm saying is I think it should be hold them accountable because they want so in, in their misguided attempts at being woke, these corporations are trying to subject voters to the left wing demands. They're trying to make Georgia, who has passed, uh, you know, th these voting measures are less restrictive than New York. The problem is no one even read this bill, but these corporations are trying to force individual states and individual voters to, to bend their way, but they're not being held accountable. No. If you're going to force the left-wing agenda on individuals, hey, put the left-wing agenda on these corporations. Make them all, they should be like Coca-Cola should be paying reparations. Do you know how much sugar came from plantations? <laughs> they should be paying reparations. Yeah, all these MLB, MLB should pay reparations. They were a segregated league. Bingo. That's right. Bingo. Yeah. Across the board, hold them accountable by the standards right. that they are forcing on voters. They're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, we don't like this so much. Yeah. 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 Listen, this is a really good segue to our interview because Burgess Owens um, is, was a, a black man who grew up in the Jim Crow South. And he dealt firsthand, he and his family dealt firsthand with the racism that was involved in all of that. He speaks incredibly eloquently about his experience and the comparison to these discussions today. So let's just get right to it. I want to welcome to the program somebody I'm a big fan of, followed him closely here in his first year in Congress, Congressman Burgess Owens. Congressman, welcome. Josh, thank you so much. I look forward to our chat. And like I said, we have... Folks in my office here are big fans of you, of yours. So uh, this, let's make this happen, buddy. I love it. Sure. I, well, it's not every day that we get to talk to a first-round draft pick uh, <laughs> in the NFL. You know, it's not commonly our our uh, folks that we talk to. So I'm, I feel great. I mean, we got a Jets number one draft pick. What was it, 13 overall? Yeah, 13 overall. And that's when the body used to respond to what the mind used to tell it. That, that was back in, in the much younger days. So appreciate appreciate the time you're going through, buddy, when your body will listen somewhat. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, you you went on to have an incredibly successful NFL career. I think you won, a, you won a Super Bowl with the Raiders, right? Yes. Yes. Back when the Raiders were winning a lot of games. It was a lot of fun playing with those guys. Good, well, good, good, good culture. Sometime when we have more time, I would love to get Raiders in the 80s stories from you because I can only imagine what that's like. But, but you, time. you've gone on to have just an incredible career starting a nonprofit, second chance for youth, uh, helping out kids. And then you decided to get in politics. I, I can't imagine what motivated you to try to get into this mess. But, but are you having fun so far? <laughs> It is. It's, it's been a, a good a good journey. It's only been three, what, three going on four months, but 
but I'll say this, uh, I couldn't, there couldn't be a better time to be on the, on the field of action. And, you know, anybody who's played the sports of any sort to kind of look for that moment with a coach, look down the line and hope the coach is going to put you in finally. And, and I kind of feel that way right now. We have a remarkable, Josh, the team that, uh, that we, the people brought on board, the 15 seats we flipped, the fact that we didn't, we didn't lose any incumbents was a true miracle. And that team that's on the field now, they're going, we're going to hold, hold tight, uh, keep our values as, as, as hard as we can until, until our reforces come in 2022 where we can start making some changes here and get this thing back on track. Yeah, no question. Well, you got your work cut out for you. I saw you in a uh, press conference down at the border. I guess it was, was that last week? Yeah, um, uh-huh. yep. And I, you had a, some very moving comments about the children that you encountered down there. Give our audience a little flavor <laughs> for, for what that was like. Well, uh, first of all, it is something that uh, is happening in our midst that we have to be just become very aware of. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of discussions going on right now. I mean, you, we talk about the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, uh, all the things that and we look at this devaluation of our dollar with all this debt. There's many, many ways. I call it the Biden um, blitz. We have so many things we can talk about, but the most important thing is is what's happening at our border. Uh, our, Josh, what makes our country so unique, such a great place to be, is our compassion, is uh, as our culture. It says, come here, work hard, be a producer, become an American, and it will be the greatest blessing you'll ever have. That's been our culture for since 200 years. Uh, and right now, we have all these poor kids. I mean, these, these kids are being used in a way that I've never seen before, where they're, they're coming unaccompanied. We have 19,000 kids right now. Uh, in another few weeks, we're going to have another 19, a totally different group, because they're, they're, they're coming in and they're just pushed into the center of our nation without understanding of our language, without parents, without people that, that, that they know the comfort of, a, of an environment, we need to stop that. We need to be aware of it. As we the people, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle we're on, Democrats or Republicans, we love our kids. We understand that these are the most vulnerable. It doesn't matter what country they come from. Uh, it breaks your heart to see uh, young people uh, not knowing what the next day is going to be like because they've been torn from their environment of a family that, that they're very, very comfortable with. So. So I, it, was a, it was a great experience for me to see it firsthand. It's also something I want uh, your lawyers to listen to and, and, and remember. This, this administration is doing this on purpose. Uh, it's very, very easy. You don't have to reimagine what it takes to seal our borders. We, it was going on very well for the last, uh, up until the last, uh, last four months. Uh, so what we're seeing right now is not only distraction from everything else but the border, but, but we are literally using our kids to change the culture of our nation. We're working, we're collaborating, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're giving power to a cartel that uses abuses and, and uses people, and they're bringing it to our border, they're walking across, and then we're taking it from there and sending it to the rest of our country. Instead of stopping it, we're facilitating this human trafficking. We cannot do that. We got rid of human trafficking uh, 200 years ago, and, um, and in the past, and we just cannot allow that to continue to happen. So. Well, that's, that's, know, that's, that's one of the things that I found so compelling about your, your press conference as you were talking about it. You know, the, the sort of conventional wisdom of democratic border policy is that it's, you know, born somehow out of compassion, right, of, of people coming here from all over the country, which, of course, is our immigration, our legal immigration yep. Yep. policies are born out of compassion and, and what Republicans and Democrats used to agree upon. But what's happening at our border, it seems to me, and I could hear your, your voice really speak to this down there, is, is their policies by encouraging this kind of thing 
are ultimately encouraging human trafficking and encouraging these horrible situations that these children find themselves down the border. Well, Josh, um, you're right. And the fact that we as a country are enabling a cartel, these guys are making a half a billion dollars per month. Uh, $4,000 per per kid or for individual and up to 8,000 if they're people that are very dangerous that they're trying to to get in another another different way. So think about this. There's a a group that came up with a a four-year-old boy who was not with his parents, was not with a guardian. How does that happen where a four-year-old, where a three-year-old, where a six-year-old come to this country and, 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 and hopes that these evil people are just going to see them through and nothing's going to happen bad with them. Uh, we cannot allow that to happen. And the fact that it's happening today uh, and the, the Biden administration will not go down to the border to check it out says there's something, there's, there's, a longer, there's a bigger long game that they have here. We have to understand what that long game is. And let me just say this uh, to my Democratic friends out there. Because I, again, I was a Democrat. I have a lot of my, my, my relatives, most of them are Democrats. I know that good people, good people will have to become aware of what's happening with the bad things that are happening to good people. We cannot allow the Hispanic uh, population to be used the way they are so that a party can get more power. There's no benefit to American people for us to be paying $3 trillion, by the way, this year to not only house but facilitate the movement of these kids into our country. We're now looking at up to possibly 180,000 unaccompanied kids at the end of this year. That does not that does not benefit them. It does not benefit our nation. It, 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 it changes the culture of compassion that we talk about for caring, for vision for our kids. There's something that's very, very evil. When we can use abuse our kids, what kind of nation do we become? When we can sit by and allow our administrators our, our, to, to do this without, not, without standing up, it should have nothing to do with party. Once we allow party to become more important than these kids, we're no, we're no worse than the cartel as a nation. Yeah. So let's make sure we're aware of what's going on. Again, I, I called it the Biden blitz because they use, uh, they use all these the attack on the First Amendment, Second Amendment, uh, federalizing our, 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 our election laws. All these conversations are going on and it's gonna keep, it get even crazy. $15,000 um, uh, payouts to illegals in the state of, 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 of right. New York. So all these things are happening and, and I call it the Biden blitz because the blitz is all about distraction. The goal is to get one person, either that middle linebacker or that corner, in to disrupt the play. Well, let me tell you, my friends, the distractions, all these other conversations, the real threat is that every single day, thousands of people are coming through our border and being thrown throughout our country so that wherever you are, believe me, in the next few months, your city will be a border city. Your city will be dealing with MS-13, with an overwhelming of the social fabric education. Your kids will not get the education, quality education, because there's too many kids that they have to deal with with different languages, so they can't focus on making sure our kids are getting the education they deserve uh, to move forward. So these are things that are happening, and I'm just hoping the American people recognize that we have to become engaged and just not allow the Bidens to continue and Harris to continue to do what they're doing now. Yeah, well, it's an interesting perspective. Clearly, you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I want to turn the page and, and talk about something else you, you actually just mentioned, in the context of these federal takeover of election with HR1, S1, you've seen this rise within corporate America at this point, weighing in 
which I personally find very alarming because I know these people and I know that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about when they're weighing in on these particular laws. But I imagine for you as somebody who grew up in the South and whose family was subjected to Jim Crow laws, real Jim Crow laws, I, I can't imagine how frustrating it is for you to hear them speak about the election law in Georgia if, as if it is a Jim Crow law. Yeah, well, there's a couple things. <clears throat> Let me just highlight real, quick, real quickly about these corporate uh, leaders. They're not victims. They're not stupid. They know how to read and write. They understand that what's happening in Georgia is exactly what we the people expect. Uh, uh, in, uh, uh, voting with integrity, <clears throat> voting that when we walk out of the booth that we know it's been done fairly, they're part of the problem. And the problem, just a quick, I won't dig into this deeper. The problem comes in the fact that we have an educational system that teaching our kids to be hard left socialist Marxists and to hate our country. So when they grow up and they become the commissioner of NFL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, or, or Coca-Cola, they become part of the problem. And it's not by accident. So no, this is, this is a, a, a collaborative effort by these hard left. And as they're, we're playing checkers, they're, they're playing three-dimensional chess. Right now, Coke is off my list of products to buy, as it is watching NFL, NBA, and Major Football League. <laughs> I mean, Major <laughs> Baseball League. So that's just where I am now. No, so, so that point now, let's look at what's happening in Georgia. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, the, the, the thing that I heard a lot of, and it was, it was coined by, by, by Bush, uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. Uh, it was the Southern Democratic Party that didn't believe that Blacks were capable of thinking of leadership and, and being disciplined. If you wonder why, you look back and you see Martin Luther King's uh, uh, Civil Rights Days, Notice, notice when you go back on the next time that middle of the summer in the South, they're wearing suits, they're wearing uh, ties, uh, very, they're very, very professional, articulate, because they were not only fighting Jim Crow physical laws, but the, the, the racist the laws that black people are not capable of being uh, uh, competitive with white people. <clears throat> when you start thinking that black people cannot get a, an ID, and by the way, this has been going on for 30 years now, Democratic Party has been talking about this for 30 years. How, how in the world are you going to get into the middle class, be successful, go to school, travel, think outside the box if you cannot identify yourself, get a, get a banking account, get on an airplane, get in a car and travel somewhere, uh, make sure you're, all those things are predicated on being mobile and ID is necessary. Only the people who keep others from getting IDs want to keep them down. So it's an, it's an insult. It's a total insult. But then to say, because of my skin color, I can't figure out a way to get an ID. Yeah. And by the way, if I'd happen to be that kind of person, why don't you just take a few minutes and help us to get it done, if that's what you believe. But it's not what you, so it's, it's all about divis divisiveness. It's all about true racism. And that's from this elitist, black and white, who put down my race and use them as tools, just like they're doing right now with the Hispanic race uh, on the border. They use abuse and discard, my friends. So I'm, I'm going to say this to my Democratic friends out there who have good hearts. Don't let the left use and abuse you. Don't let them hide behind your good heart to destroy our nation from within. Uh, look at what's going on. Know that, that, uh, that if they can shut your business down, they can tell you not to go to, to, go to church, they can tell you can't put your, school, your kids in school, you now have become collateral damage. So let's not let the left do what they're doing because they want to wreak havoc. They want to cause chaos because that's what the hard left does. That's yeah. what they're all about. It's, it's against our American way. Powerful words from Representative Burgess Owens. That's just very well said, sir. And, and look, I, I, I think part of the issue that corporate America has at this point, in addition to what you've said, is that they're just risk adverse, 
right? And these are, these are folks that basic calculus is they think that they're going to be protested by the left. They know that the media only comes at them from the left. And so they've made a calculated decision that, you know, they're never going to get in trouble with conservatives, right? The conservatives are never going to hold them accountable for some of these positions. But, you know, as like you said, you're not watching Major League Sports anymore and you're not buying Coca-Cola. I imagine yeah. there's a few of us that are probably going to follow that. If I can tell you a real quick story, and I'm going to make this as brief as I can, because I saw what principal looked like growing up. You know, I grew up in the Deep South, Tallahassee in the 60s, KKK, Jim Crow, segregation, remarkably successful community. And I'll spend some time at some other point to talk about how great this community was, uh, how competitive they were, were, were. But we would take a trip from Tallahassee to Texas every summer. And, uh, and we would stop at the service stations. And in the service stations, there, there was white women only, white men, and in the back color. Well, my mom would always go on to the white women's restroom. These two men came out. I remember sitting as a 10-year-old kid in my car, seeing this, people, these guys trying to knock, to knock down the door to, to get my mom out. My dad got out and dealt with them. What my dad showed me is what men do to protect womanhood, number one, no matter what the odds are. But he took it a step further. Because not only did he stop them, and my mom came out when she, when she was ready, but when we got back home, I happened to be walking past, past their, their, their bedroom, and dad was, was saying, he's going to cut up this card from this particular service station chain, and, 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 and he's going to send it back to them. About 50 years later, a few couple of years before dad passed away, we'll talk about memories. And I, I mentioned this particular incident. I said, and, and I said, dad, I remember you saying you're going to cut down, cut up that card. He said, yo, Burgess, not only did I do that, but I never bought another drop of glass from that station ever again. It's 50 years later. That's called principle. So guess what? I understood that lesson. I'm not going to be watching NFL, NBA, Major League Basketball, Baseball. I'm going to give up Coke. If they don't love our country, if they want to prioritize their profits in China over our country, then let, let, let them have it. Go for it. Uh, make, make do without my, my support. And it's just not me. There's many people, millions of people across this country is going to hold these guys accountable. When this stock starts going down, when they realize that they cannot get away with globalism putting other countries before America, when they finally see the bottom line, they start firing these CEOs, then they will be truly woke. And at that point, they start doing the right things and, and, and putting our country before their, their own interests. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. That's a, first of all, it's a great story. But, but second of all, if, if a first round draft pick who played, what, you 11 years or so in the NFL? 10, 10 years. 10, 10, 10 11 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you're on the boat where you're out, you're done with it, everybody is going to be on the boat when I'm done with it. <laughs> well, you know, Josh, and, and this is the thing, because I grew up again with that great, that great uh, community, that remarkable generation that taught us, first of all, love of country, number one. God, country, family, respect for, for women and authority. That's what we're taught. And we had a dad in the house. If you ever got off track, he would make sure you got back on track. So, so it's very simple. We need to just bring back the, the ideals, the love for our country, and do not let the left divide us. They take away those things that bring us together, like sports, like our flag, our anthem, our God. Those things that, that no matter where we are in the spectrum, we have that one thing in common. This allows us to say, okay, we can still be friends. Let's agree to disagree. But we have this in common. They want to divide us by taking all that, all that away from us and then destroying black lives. When they take that, that, that uh, series from Atlanta to Denver, they're destroying black businesses, black lives, black families, and they can care less as they talk about how, how much they love black people. No, they don't love black people. They love their profit. They love their, they love their global opportunities. They love their little elitist group that they're part of. And by the way, it's black and white. The worst thing that happened to black America was not white supremacists, it was black elitists. What they did to us in the last 60 years is a crime, and we need to stand up against these people 
uh, and, and let them know that they want to divide us. They, they'll use any, anything they can do, including basic lies, to, to destroy us. We can't let that happen. One of the things I find most fascinating about your perspective is that it's obviously formed by the amount of time that you spent with troubled youth um, with the organization. I imagine that's basically why you wanted to get into politics, right? I mean, you spend Nailed enough it. time in troubled communities trying to help folks out that it, it, it seems like it has a searing impact on your point of view and how, wow. to, how to help people rise. Josh, you just nailed it. You, I mean, you truly just nailed it. Because what happened, that was my dream, by the way. When I left the NFL, my dream was to have an impact on that, on that section of people and the kids that I saw was, it was changing. The trajectory was changing drastically. It took me 30 years to finally get to where I can do that. But the reason I decided to go into politics, which I said I would never, ever do, by the way, I mean, <laughs> with an emphasis on never, ever. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I realized that if we don't do something to change the policies in D.C., our kids do not have a chance. When you have 75% of the black boys in the state of California, 2017 study, they cannot pass standard reading writing tests. We have schools in Baltimore, they have zero proficiency in math. These are all democratic policies that keep our kids ignorant, uh, hating our country, not believing they have a chance, not understanding second chances. And so in order to change that, we need to change the policies that have given us an opportunity to live the American dream. And that's done in Congress. And I want to thank the American people, by the way, Josh. Uh, they did something miraculous uh, in 2020. Even though we lost the Senate and the executive, we filled 15 seats. We held on to every single incumbent. What that did is give us a, a margin that's so thin that the, the quote, moderates who want to be in office in 2022, they cannot stay on the left end. They have to come back to the middle, have to start working with us who want to get our people back, uh, the American people back in control. If they don't do that, they stay on the left wing. They're not going to be. They're going to be in office in 2022. So, we, in essence, what the American people have done is been able to slow down this this hard left push. At the same time, we have a chance to see contrast. We see what would they do if they had true power, and none of us like it. We see a power grab. We see empathy free. We see a heartless uh, no, no. And there's no north star in this moral north star that would be with this part of this party. So now that we see it. We can have conversations with our democratic friends, our independent friends, that we might have a different way of getting to the end game, but the end game is always the same. We want our country to prosper, our kids to grow, to have a great opportunity. And we can now see that the left, the hard left, is, is keeping all of us from doing that. So we're gonna come back stronger than ever after this process, because we're growing up, we're educating ourselves, and boy, I tell you what, old uh, saying from Al Davis, we just win, baby. When we figured out that we're on the same team, we got an enemy. We just win, baby. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, the Republican Party would be well served in listening to you and formulating a, a, a bunch of policies when we get our opportunity to help uh, underprivileged youth and underprivileged people across this con country get back into using conservative principles, get back on their feet. So I, I appreciate it. I've got three big questions for you, Congressman, okay. that uh, – are very revealing for our audience. <laughs> the pressure's on. The pressure's okay. on. All right. So the first one is your last meal on earth. If you get a chance to pick it, what is it going to be? Uh, chicken salad sandwich, lettuce and tomatoes, with pickle on the side. It's kind of healthy. Oh, <laughs> it wow. It me up on the go. I think it's healthy. <laughs> I'm going to claim it's healthy. <laughs> I mean, you only it's your last meal, so it kind of doesn't matter if it's healthy or not, right? Yeah, right. It, 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 it's easy to take down and go, go for it for sure. All right. <laughs> so uh, my second question 
is almost pre-answered by you because I know what you'd be doing because you were doing it. But it, the question is always, if you weren't in politics, what would you be doing? I know what you'd be doing. And to that point, the decision I, when I decided to go to politics, I, I, after a lot of prayer, I came with a conclusion, if it's meant to be to go into politics and win, it'll happen. If it's not meant to be, I'll just continue to work with my kids. Either way, it was a win-win. It was no lose. So I would be working with my kids big time, full time. And also bringing more people attention to what's happening at the border. If I can say anything that is my mission now, if kids, good kids, vulnerable kids that's being used by the cartel and we're actually enabling them as a nation. If you want to talk about reparation, uh, in 20 years from now, we might be having this conversation again as we, we talk back and see what, what this party has done to so many Hispanic people coming through that should not have been done. You know, we'll be, we, we're, we're gonna owe them something and it'll be interesting to see how that works out. So anyway. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's interesting, you know, having hung around Congress for the better part of 20 years with new members, you can always tell that there is some indelible experience sometime in their first couple of years that shapes their perspective and, and I can clearly tell by the passion in your voice that the border has clearly had a, a big impact on your point of view. Absolutely, absolutely. It's something we cannot forget. And I just, I just asked my friends that as they continue to throw all this, all this other stuff, remember uh, HR1, the fertilizing of, of, our, of our laws, uh, the, the attack on our First and Second Amendment, this is gonna have to go through a long process of going through the courts. And it's, most of that is unconstitutional. So we're gonna end up having that. What we have to worry about is what's happening every single day. And every single day, we have thousands of people coming in that will not be able to assimilate because they don't have a plan to assimilate them to our great country and in this, in this great culture. All right. Well, I got, I got a third question for you, and this is really where the rubber meets the road. Uh, what motivates Burgess Owens more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? That's a good question. That's a good question. I would say the agony of defeat because you learn so much through the process. The thrill of victory is, is very fleeting. Uh, and it's something that comes and goes. But boy, when you're, and you're, when you're facing tough times, you're on your knees figure out how in the world did this happen? How can I get out of this? It is long-term. You make changes, you, you change your heart, you get into something called empathy. Um, and, and I grew up with this, this idea of, uh, I had a fear of failure. Uh, I'd never wanted to, to, to lose. So I would actually work harder not to lose and, and always see the things, mistakes I made were very blurring to me. So and if, you, if you have that attitude, Boy, can you change in a much positive way and become a better individual? Because a lot of our interactions is how we treat each other. And if you have, the, are you defeating in that, being defeated in that area where you're not getting along with the people that you really care about or somebody you love, you, 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 you figure out real quickly, I need to change something here because I, I want this to, I don't want this to continue to be this way. So the, the agony of defeat is, is where we learn so many great lessons for sure. Very, very, very excellent answer. Congressman, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Our audience is going to love this. Please come back sometime soon where we can talk a little further. Maybe get some Raiders football uh, discussions. <laughs> <other thing. laughs> I have some good ladies, some great, good stories. And Josh, let's do this again. Seriously, yeah, I, I'd love to do it. Just just pick a time and we'll make it happen, okay? You bet. Thanks, thanks for everything All right. you do. All right, buddy. All the best. Take care. Outstanding interview. He's a great guy, thoughtful guy, and it's, like I said at the top of the inter interview, not the uh, uh, not every day that you get a first round draft pick of the New York Jets on the program. Amazing, but but we did today, and I told him, I, I mean, I really want to have him back to talk Raiders football uh, with them. But but he was look, he's really keyed up on immigration, clearly, and he's he's also 
I think going to be an important voice as Republicans regain our policy footing and get to a place where we're beginning to put conservative reforms back into place when we get majorities in the House and Senate, God willing, in 22. That's it. We got to have the eyes on the prize. We got to focus on what we need to do. If you want to turn back the tide of all the craziness, it's, it's 22. 22 is where we have to make it happen. Let's do Excellent it. episode, man. Excellent Good episode. episode. Uh, two items of note. We're working on the foldy haircut. We should have news of that. The second thing is King of the Hill. Now that March uh, is over and we're in back in the game show season, where King of the Hill is going to return on Thursday. Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> I can't wait. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>